So um, I want to sort of recap just a little bit on uh, what we've been talking about so far this term. Uh, I don't know if you can remember. Can you pop the first slide up for me, guys? Thank you. Um, Joe sort of kind of launched in with this sort of title um, just a couple of uh, weeks ago. Um, and the title is Leading Our Community into Life. And she talked about um, King Alfred and uh, how he was somebody who... Uh, really impacted uh, not just Winchester, actually, the whole of the county, in fact, the whole of the country, a um, historical figure. And um, I don't know if you remember, even further back than that, I spoke just at the beginning of this term about how I really felt the Lord had said that this was a season of preparation. And from Hebrews 11, there were four things I felt that God wanted us to really learn and push into this term. Um, not just this term, this term and this season. And one of them was to walk by faith and to draw near to God. And we've opened our prayer room and that was fantastic. We had the Koreans here and that was brilliant. And the season of prayer isn't over. We're just beginning to start uh, what think about and, and explore what that really means for us. Um, and then there were some significant actions to both. I think there's something to do around building or um, investing in our building and there's something to do around going and then there's a real sense of expectation and transformation that God wants to do something here and we do sense the leading of God as we take specific steps more intentionally to become what I called back then an inside out church you may remember I shared this picture with you um, of a sea anemone that was given to us Joe and I right back uh, when we sort of took over the, the leading role here um, and this was with a, an enemy with tentacles outstretched. It was bigger on the outside than it was on the inside. And many of us have felt challenged about this over the last two or three years. Um, uh, and really specifically over this year as, as we've prayed, as the, the smaller leadership group have prayed, as the wider leadership community have prayed too. Just really, Lord, how are you leading us? What does this look like? And how do we get to that point? And so as I said, Joe talked about King Alfred and she talked about being engaged in our city and about God's invitation to us, not to be lukewarm, but to be passionate and on fire. And then last week, you may remember if you were here, we had a visit from Mark Marks, um, and he uh, taught us about healing on the streets. And in fact, out on the streets on the Saturday, there were seven people who gave their lives to Jesus. And we felt that was a sign of what God wanted to do in this city. It's just the beginning, actually, of God, what God wants to do here. I don't know if you can remember, but Mark talked about what's gone on for them in their church up in Coleraine in the north of Ireland um, and how they've always seen a lot of people come to faith. But over this year, they've seen about 2,000 people come to faith. Now, I really, I've, I know a little bit more about this story than, than, than he spoke about last week. And I really do feel that this isn't just down to the work of a few very gifted evangelists, although they are gifted evangelists. This is actually the harvest of a church that spent over 10 years intentionally investing in the community, intentionally trying to lead their community and their city into life, taking risks, stepping out, doing it, stepping into the impossible, as he said, seeing people get healed, seeing miracles happen, and seeing people find Jesus being an inside-out church. And as leaders, we've listened to their leaders and we've tried to spend time listening and learning, not so we can completely copy and reproduce their model, no, but so we can identify what are the principles that have gone on here and how can we learn from that, prayerfully asking God, how do we put some of that into practice in our city and our community? Because I really believe God has a better future for our city. For Winchester and the surrounding areas and Hampshire, God has a better future. There are people here who need to know Jesus. And actually what those guys in Coleraine 
And any of the other successful, in, in quotes, really successful churches are doing is not new. It's remarkable. It's effective. It's creative and fruitful. But it's not new. It stands out in our culture and it feels new. Uh, 2,000 2, people meeting Jesus in nine months is pretty radical. And it's very different. And we're not used to hearing those kinds of stories from the UK. But it's not new. It's New Testament. It's not new, it's New Testament. It's what we read about Jesus and his disciples doing. They started the first churches. It's an intentional way of doing faith and life that reorders your priorities. It's challenging because it really stands out against our consumer culture that we all live in, whether we like it or not. And I really believe it's what God's calling us to do, to be intentional about standing against our culture, believing the impossible. And so I want to just take some time to look at that, and I've reproduced on your sheet some verses from Luke 9 and from Luke 10. And they are from the Bible. You can read your Bible and check just to be sure that it's kosher, and I'm not just making this up. Um, but we'll just read through. There's six verses from Luke 9 and then a few verses from Luke 10. And this is the story um, about when Jesus sends out his disciples. He sends them out. He's called them together. He's hung out with them. He's trained them. They've watched him. They've watched him do ministry. They've watched him uh, preaching the gospel. They've watched him healing people. They've watched him do amazing things, actually. And they've been with him all of that time. And then he sends them out. So this is Luke 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever your ha- whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I love that it says there, doesn't say, and praying for people everywhere. It just says, and healing people everywhere. And then Luke 10, it says, um, after this, so that was the one part where Jesus sends out the disciples and a whole bunch of stuff happens and they come back and they're kind of going, wow, it really works, Jesus. This stuff really works. And then a little bit later when we read that he sort of sends the second round off, the second wave, and this is Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead two by two to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Go, I'm sending you out like lamb and wolves. And then jump, jumps out. I'm jumping ahead to verse 8 and 9 here. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you and heal those there who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. I just want to make a few general points about this, about this passage, about these verses. Um, The first thing to note, I think, is that Jesus gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure all diseases. That's there in verse 1 of chapter 9. Power and authority. It was delegated power and authority straight from Jesus. It's a little bit like the power and authority that, say, our police force has to arrest and hold criminals or people who seem to be 
doing criminal activity. If you can imagine that the police um, are... Out, I don't know, if, I really like these programmes that are on the telly with the police guys in their fast cars. Do you ever watch them? Or is it just me? I'm, I'm getting my kids into them as well. It's quite good fun. But, um, but anyway, the police are out there and they see someone breaking the law and they catch them red-handed and, you know, they've, they've had a big chase and out, uh, everything stops and they're out of the car and they grab the person and... Um, and uh, and at that point, they don't then need to go, right, just wait there a minute. I'm just going to go back and ask uh, my boss if I have the power and authority to catch you. doesn't happen, does it? It's delegated power and authority. They know, they know how far they can go and how far they can't go, but they have the power and authority to make the arrest. They don't have to go and ask permission. It's, it's bound up in their badge and in their role. And Jesus said the same thing to his disciples, and he says the same thing to us. I'm giving you power and authority. You're acting in my power and my authority. The second thing I noticed about this passage is that Jesus tells them not just to heal the sick, but to proclaim the kingdom of God. And you see this in uh, chapter 9 and verse 2. Sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And also, right at the end of the verse 9 of chapter 10, the bottom of that passage, heal those who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, some people thought that he was talking about a political revolution. There were quite a few political revolutionaries around in that time, and so it wasn't actually that new to hear someone using that kind of language. They thought that his goal was to overthrow the occupying powers of the day and lead a revolution. And actually, when Jesus refers to the kingdom of God, it's not an earthly or a military or a political kingdom. It's a spiritual revolution. It's a spiritual kingdom. The rule and reign of God in people's lives and hearts. And talk of the kingdom of God with Jesus always goes hand in hand with demonstrations of power. Always. He didn't just talk about it. He did it. That's implicit in this passage is that Jesus loved the people. He didn't just preach at them. He demonstrated his power to meet the needs of those who were in need, whether they were physically in need or materially in need or spiritually poor. He commanded his followers to do the same. Go, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, hand in hand, proclamation of the good news of Jesus and action, demonstration of power. And the third thing that I notice here in 10.1 is that it says, Jesus says to them, and Mark, Mark's talked about this last week, after this, this is uh, chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He sent them ahead of him. They were going to prepare the way. And Mark talked last week when he was talking to the Healing on the Streets teams, and I think to here, to the leaders as well. We've been doing Healing on the Streets in this city for eight years. Some of you guys, um, Edward and some of you other guys, were part of getting that started. And this is what Mark said about Healing on the Streets. He said, it's not just simply a case of putting out chairs and a banner and offering prayer. I mean, those are the practical things that, that the team actually does. But much, much more is happening than we can see. It's about being a carrier of God's presence and influencing the whole city. And the more we press in, the more we're preparing the way for him and his kingdom rule and reign. And the fact that people get healed is just one of the beautiful benefits of when the kingdom of God comes. So it's not about the healing. It's not about the chairs. 
It's not about the banner. It's about preparing the way for what Jesus wants to do. And as disciples, we're all called to that, to prepare the way for Jesus, to be part of his advance party, demonstrating his power and his kindness. And it says in the Bible that kindness leads to repentance. So we know that when we do that, the kingdom of God will come and people will follow. And lastly, just one little verse, 10.3, it says, he says, um, I'm go, he says, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. I love that. This isn't a forceful thing that Jesus is asking us to do. He's not asking us to go and get all hyped up and, you know, <laughs> forceful. It implies, lambs among wolves implies that the disciples, that they shouldn't, they should, this is what it says in my Bible notes. It implies that the disciples should not attempt to gain converts by force. The spread of the gospel is to come through the preaching of the good news of Jesus and inviting hearers to respond willingly. Genuine religious commitment cannot be compelled by force. What I love about that is he's saying, look, this, this, is, this is Jesus' mission. It's not our mission. And we've talked about this before. This is God's rescue mission for the world, and we get to join in. This is not the church's mission. This is not, we need more converts. We need more people. Come to our church. This isn't that. This is, Jesus is out there, and he's calling people, and he's doing stuff, and he's working in their lives, and it's his mission. He's calling people back to himself, and we get to play a part in that. What a brilliant thing. What a wonderful privilege. He was and still is on this rescue mission. We're co-laborers. We get to work in the harvest field and pick the harvest. And choosing to follow Jesus is also choosing to play a part in this big, huge, fantastic adventure. His rescue mission for people. And all of that's brilliant, isn't it? And you've probably heard a talk like that before, and you've probably heard somebody talk on this passage before, maybe it was even me. And all of that is and should be part of any church's DNA. And it's certainly part of ours. As part of, you know, there are ministries and teams of Winchester Vineyard that do stuff like this. There are people, you guys and us, all of us together, there are people here who do things to help the poor. We have amazing compassion projects. There's stuff going on beyond the walls of this church. We've got a storehouse. We heard about that last week from Jenny. We've got street teams, women's refuge. We've got work going on there. There's specific people who work with those in desperate need. Some of you work in prisons. Some of you work in healthcare and education. And, and it's, it's in places where there are people who need. We've talked about encouraging neighboring, as Mike talked about earlier. And, you know, all of us and how we're trying to just... Follow the command of Jesus to be good neighbours. We've done specific outreaches and events, like I don't know if you remember back at Easter we did the car wash, and we washed people's cars for free. And I know that groups that have gone to communities and picked up litter and just served the community in all sorts of different ways. Part of being in a life group is sharing life, bringing life. And if you're in a life group, you know maybe you'll be you're doing something. And if you're not, maybe just start asking God, what is our life group doing? And all of those initiatives are great. And all of those programs are good and they're important. But as we have prayed and sought God, we feel that there is something else that we need to learn that goes beyond programs. And as I said before, it's not new, it's New Testament. Something which must have been implicit 
in the hearts of those followers of Jesus, those disciples must have known something internally about who they were and what they were called to do and what they actually believed about themselves. There must have been a culture that rubbed off on them from hanging out with Jesus, constantly being around him, which affected what they believed because they didn't seem to be afraid to go out and do this stuff. We, actually, we don't read whether they were afraid or not, do they? But whatever their fear was, it was they, they managed to conquer it because they were fruitful. I mean, these guys saw the church grow from a few people to taking on the whole world. Something in them must have given them the confidence to do that, to go out in twos, to do the things that Jesus had told them, to find that person of peace, the person who's happy to have you in their house and share their life with you, and then to find out what their needs are and start to meet their needs. The spread of the kingdom of God and the subsequent growth of the church didn't come about through well-organized programs. They didn't come about because they had a well-resourced initiative. Okay? It didn't happen like that. It's so much more about simply knowing who we are and acting on that. As Mark encouraged us last week, we, like the disciples, are carriers of the divine presence, prepared to step into the impossible. And when that happens, people encounter God's presence and impossible things happen. And we want to be the kind of church where people know who they are and understand what they carry. And that that actually makes, means something and makes a difference. And I, all of this is introduction to what we want to talk about over the next three weeks. For the rest of this morning and for the next two weeks, I want to introduce a concept to you. And the concept is called trusted rulers. And you've got a couple of triangles down there. And if you look at the one on the right-hand side, um, the trusted rulers triangle is this one. Um, trusted rulers know, they are people who know their identity, they know their authority, and they know their assignment clarity. In other words, they know who they are, they know the authority they've been given, and they know where they've been sent. And when we go out from here, we are God's trusted rulers. In this city, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our colleges, in the playgrounds, in the streets, in our house, in our family. If you went to work this week, you went carrying the presence of God with you. I don't know if you were aware of that, but you did. If you went out on the healing on the streets, training, or you've just been out on one of those teams, you go carrying God's presence with you, a trusted ruler, intentionally looking to see who's God talking to? Who is he drawing towards himself? Who is looking for him? And what opportunities are there? Trusted rulers. I'm going to tell you a deep dark pastor's secret. Okay? It's not that dark. It's deep there. Um, look at the first triangle. This triangle talks about people who are skilled, supportive servants. The kind of leadership training I used to go to was all about trying to get more skilled, supportive servants. Okay? Every church leader or pastor really wants their church to grow, Right? And every church leader or pastor has a big vision and lots of ideas and big dreams about things happening and momentum and people coming to Jesus, lots of exciting activity and stuff. And the easiest way to get that to happen is to find or train a whole bunch of skilled, supportive servants. People who can do stuff, 
People who buy into the vision and people who are prepared to give time and energy and serve. That's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. Serving is a biblical principle. It's really important. And as Joe's already said, we are, it's important around here. We have loads of ways that you can serve, and people do serve in all kinds of ways. And as a leader, you kind of naturally end up looking for people who serve and people who share your vision and people who are gifted and are skilled. And you try, as part of what we do, is to try and help everybody find a place where they can serve. These are people who can help everyone else get to buy the vision. Skilled worship leaders, skilled welcome teams, skilled administrators, life group leaders, gatherers, evangelists, pastors. If you've skilled cone places. <laughs> if you've got enough skilled supportive servants, you can build a fantastic church. You can build a great church. But it's possible for that to happen without any of them knowing and acting on any of this stuff. And so there's a gap there. Because what we, we don't really need skilled supportive servants as much as we need trusted rulers. We don't want to build a great church. That's God's job anyway. He builds the church. What we want to do is look at what God's doing out in the world, in our cities and communities. What's the story? What's happening out there? What's the rescue mission? And if we become trusted rulers who absolutely know their identity, the authority that they carry, and the and a clarity on the assignment that they've been given. If we could become that, I think our world would change. We're seeing that, we're seeing that happen among communities where we know people. So this isn't real and somewhere over the sea. This is, well, I suppose Northern Ireland is over the sea, but you, you know what I mean. Culturally, it's not, you know, a million miles away. It's, it's, it's here in our country. If, if we just have skilled, supportive servants, then we'd have a great church that could follow the leader's vision and do some great stuff. But if we have trusted rulers, every one of us is God-led. With each individual pursuing the journey that God has for them in the place he's called them to. The subtitle of trusted rulers is this. Unleash the power of everyone. And as I said, trusted rulers know who they are, the authority they've been given, and the assignment that they've been sent to. And so this morning, just for the last 10, 15 minutes, I'm going to talk about identity. And then next week, we're going to talk about assignment, and the following week, Paul will talk about authority. And so if you flip your page over, there's some bits and bobs on identity there. Um, I don't know how you see yourself if somebody asks who you are or what you do. Now, by the way, I don't mean identification. So to make a distinction, yesterday um, I went to a bank uh, where I had to um, become part of a joint account with my sister. And in order to go through that process, I had to prove who I was. I had to, you know, so if you ask me, well, who are you, Nigel? Identify yourself. I would say, well, I'm the son of Roger and Marion Hemming. I was born in 1969 in Gravesend in Kent. This is my passport number. This is my address. This is my employer and my driving license number, etc. That's identification. I'm not talking about that. Okay? Identity. When you're in a social situation and somebody says, oh, so who are you? What do you do? How, how, you know, tell me about yourself. I wonder what you say. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, just in, in, a, in a second, what, what would be the two or three key things that you might say 
in that situation if you were asked, so who are you? Tell me about yourself. Just, just be honest. It doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong answers here. But just turn to the person next to you and tell them what would you, what would you say if you were asked who you are. So just shout out the sorts of things. I don't want your actual information. Thank you. Not, not just now. That wouldn't be very practical. But what are the sorts of things that you might talk about if you were asked that? Come on, give me some examples. Your, okay, talk a bit about your family. Good. What else? Work or job or you know, occupation. Yeah, what else? Interests or hobbies. Good. Where you live. Yeah, location. Good. Any other interesting ones? I mean, that's what I would have said as well. What you love. Great. That's really good. Now, um, I, um, I tell you a really interesting exercise to find out what people would say is for those who are involved, I know not everyone's into this, but um, do, you know, do you know Twitter? If, you, if you've got a Twitter account, you have to write a biography of yourself. Well, you don't have to, but you have the opportunity to write a biography of yourself in, in 140 characters or less. And uh, I thought it was quite interesting. I looked up a few of you, actually. Um, <laughs> To, to be fair, I only looked you up if you were following me, so, um, and it's, it's nothing personal, but I couldn't find any women on there either, so, um, where, where's Will Law? Okay, Will Law here. Um, this is what Will says about himself in his Twitter, Twitter biography. You alright with this? You okay with me? Yeah? Okay. Um, he says, this is how he describes himself, Englishman. Love that. Traveller, musician, coffee enthusiast, lover of adventure and life. Fantastic. Um, Nigel Jameson, where are you? There he is. This is, what, this is what Nigel says in his Twitter bio. Husband, father, Christian, and Leighton Orient fan. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Andy Hyder. He's not here. He's up with the youth, so we can talk about him. He, he, he simply wrote this, living life to the full. That's cool, isn't it? And uh, is Mike here? Mike Morell? Am I going to be naughty and tell you what he writes on his? You know Mike Morell. Okay, this is Mike's Twitter thing. Eager Christian, father, artist, amateur photographer, office manager, sports fan, PC dude, brackets, so much better than apples, wind-up merchant, sociable chap. Isn't that nice? The formation... What you say, you want to hear mine? No, you don't need to hear mine. Okay, this is what I wrote about myself, just to complete mistake. I wrote... Leader of Winchester Vineyard Church, husband of one, father of three, occasional songwriter and music producer. That's my, uh, my Twitter bio. Um, what? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was trying to be arty, okay? Attem- attempting to be arty and creative, you know. Clearly it didn't work. Yeah. You should follow me on Twitter, darling. you find out more about me. <laughs> Joe jo would like me to tell you that she does have a Twitter account, but she hasn't written anything on the biography. So, uh, if, no, should we go there? No, let's not go there. <laughs> um, the formation of our identity occurs through our identifications with significant others. This is what the psychologists tell us, primarily our parents or other individuals in our lives, and sometimes also with groups as well. And sometimes those are positive things, and sometimes those are negative things. So you're, who you are, as a result of perhaps how you related with your parents... You might say, I'm, I, you might at some stage in your life make a decision, I really want to be like that person. Or maybe it was the opposite. I am not going to be like that person. You know? I'm not going to be like them. I'm going to be like this. And so um, a psychological identity relates to our self-image. 
which is a mental model of how we see ourselves, and, and it also relates to self-esteem and individuality. All those things are really important. And how we see ourselves will ultimately define what we believe about ourselves, which will ultimately define how we act in certain situations. And so in a spiritual sense, God has a lot to say about our identity. And as followers of Jesus, we have been given a brand new identity in the spirit realm, which is core to who we are. And there's a key verse there that's on the top of your page from, one, uh, from 2 Corinthians, and it's this. And you've probably heard this before many times. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Little challenge for the songwriters. I can't think of any contemporary songs that talk about this. I can think of some cheesy old ones. <laughs> oh, is that? Oh, fair enough. Did it, use, did it use the new creation? All I can think of is that song, I am a new creation. It's a great song, but musically it's a little bit of, a, of another era f- f- for my personal taste. But, you know, sing it to yourself if it makes you happy. <laughs> more, more importantly, sing it to yourself if it helps you remember who you are. At the point that we choose to open our hearts to Jesus and commit to follow him and become one of his disciples, a spiritual transaction takes place and we take on a brand new identity. We don't usually literally change our name and obviously what we can't do is change our experiences. But in the spiritual realm, a complete transformation happens. Whether we feel it or not, that's the truth. That's what the Bible says. We literally become someone else in Christ. We trade our old life for a new one. We swap allegiance from the dark side to the light side, if you're a, if you're a movie fan. We fight on the side instead of good, instead of, for, instead of the side of evil. It goes really deep. And the New Testament has so much to say about that. And I've reproduced here a tool from the Freedom in Christ um, course, which some of you are doing currently, and you've got all of those, I won't read through them all now because there's quite a lot, but you should have them on the sheet there. Um, the key promises and the key statements from the New Testament, so mostly from Paul's writings and the, the other disciples' writings from the letters, and some from Jesus, about who we are when we're in Christ. Promises that give us acceptance and security and significance. I love this. I mean, I am God's child. Just stop and think about that for a little while. I mean, really stop and think about it. And that's the problem with some of these things, isn't it? We don't really stop and think about them. We've sort of heard them and they're they're there in our sort of consciousness. I'm God's child. I am free from condemnation. Amazing. And that's the truth of our spiritual identity. As those who are in Christ, there are so many of these truths for us to take on board. It's almost, it's almost overwhelming. But I find, you know, sometimes when I'm praying and I get a list like this and I just start to read down it, and, and being the sort of person I am, I usually like to get down to the bottom and finish things, you know. Oh, I'm God's child, yeah, great, disciple, yeah. And, and I find I can't do that with this sort of stuff because I just I can't treat it that flippantly anymore. I just have to stop and really give thanks to God for that and really just let that kind of sink in and settle in again. Really take it on board. In Jesus, all of these things become possible. 
This isn't just some sort of mantra. This, is, this isn't meaningless. This is absolutely meaningful and as deep and as precious as it gets. And the truth is, if you're like me, you don't always remember this. Or act like it's even true. Sometimes. But when I do, I have found that it makes a difference to everything. It changes my, it gives me a whole new perspective. I won't go over it in detail, but I've told some you before some of my story. As a young guy, I was really into music. And I really, I loved playing in the worship teams, but for quite a long time I really was in the, wanting to be in the worship team for all the wrong reasons. I just wanted to be seen. I just wanted to get my significance from being somebody who could play and you know, could help others to worship. And that's not a bad thing, but where it was coming from in my heart was the wrong place. And Jesus very kindly and graciously, um, and sometimes forcefully, um, made me aware of that to the point where I had to say, actually, my identity is not in being a musician or a worship leader or even a leader of a small group or even a pastor. My identity is in Jesus and only in Jesus. Only in Jesus can I understand those things. Same when, you know, in this job, being a church leader, you, you know, sometimes stuff happens, or even just in, in, in our home and our family, you know, sometimes stuff happens and it feels like we forget who we are. And the spiritual, I've, I've learned this language about this now, the spiritual atmosphere changes. And I suddenly kind of feel all stressed and anxious. And the first thing I find that goes when I feel stressed and anxious is that I forget who I am. I forget who I am in Christ. You know, Paul Phillips here said about three weeks ago when he was talking about prayer, he said, our problem with prayer is that we start from our own perspective and not God's perspective. And when we look at our problems, whether they're our problems or they're the big problems in the world, we face them from where we are at. And the first thing we need to do is to get God's perspective. And I find that's the same on my identity. I need to get God's perspective on my identity. And in the light of that, most of the issues that are causing me stress and concern, most of the relational difficulties, most of the people who feel upset or hurt, or I feel upset or hurt by, most of those stressful situations gain a different perspective. When I say, start from this place, I am a child of God. God knows. He's in charge. I get my identity in him. Let's just remember who we are. And the truth is that often I'm quite behind the curve on this. Let's just imagine that this is the place, this is that point where I know who I am in Christ. Okay? Quite often I'm catching up. I'm living my life somewhere here. Things aren't going so well. And then I remember, oh yes, that's who I am. I'm I'm in Christ. Right, get back to this place. You know? And then I go on with my life, and I go on with my life, and and reality, what happens is I start just slipping away from that. And then I think, what's happening here? What's happening? The atmosphere's changed. I've forgotten my identity. I'm in Christ. And that's not a bad thing, but I would really love to live on this side. Wouldn't you? Maybe you do already, in which case, come and tell me what you do, and I want to learn from you. (laughs) I would really love to live on this side. of just, you know, when I slip back, I only slip back to, well, yes, I know who I am. I'm in Christ. You know, and over here, I'm doing amazing things because I'm living out of that identity. Do you know what I'm saying? Can anybody identify with this or is it just me? Thank you for being honest. That's very kind of you, helping me out there. Um, I have a hunch that if we can do that, we'll be more fruitful. And the question is, how do we keep that perspective? 
And not just keep it, but grow in it. Not just keep it, but grow in it. And I was chatting to somebody, Anna Pope, who's in the church, and she's not here. And I asked her to, she was just, we just got talking about something. And what she told me was a great example of this. And I asked her to come and share it with us. And she said, she's, she's unfortunately not here, but she told, she gave me permission to tell you what she, what she told me. And I was just chatting about this. And she said, of course, what I do is, I have, I can't remember how many it was, something like 34 declarations that I say to myself every day. I said, really? That's interesting. Tell me a bit about them. And, she, and, and some of this comes from the Freedom in Christ course that Anna's done. It's this kind of stuff. It's just basically make statements that, that are, you know are true. And she says, oh yes, and what, she said to me, what was amazing in the conversation? She said, and one of them was once, something you said once, Nigel, in a sermon. And she, it's number 27. I went, is it? Okay. Um, it's, it's, uh, the, and I can't remember what it was, but it was something that I'd said one time in a sermon. And she'd written it down and made it a declaration for herself. And she says, oh, and number 19, that's one that happened when uh, such and such gave me a prophetic word a few years ago. And so these declarations tell the story of her life. And I said, so do you know them all off by heart? And she said, yes. I say them to myself every day. And I thought, what a brilliant way of reminding myself who I am. And then she went on to tell me about how she, in her work, because she works for the YMCA and does youth work in various places, and she was um, mixing with, um, help, meeting with some people who were pretty down on their luck and pretty, having a pretty tough life. And, um, and she was able to live out of that place so that she could be Jesus in that, to those people. What a wonderful example. So you can all write nice things on her Facebook page now and say, we've heard about your declarations, Anna. <laughs> but isn't that great? We are accepted and secure and significant. We've been created in the image of God to carry his authority and presence. We are new creations in Christ. I wonder how many people you know who don't follow Jesus who, for whom, if they were to know this stuff, it would really impact their life? Can you think of anybody? Because we've got this amazing thing here, and if we've cracked it for ourselves, what an amazing opportunity to go and share it with others. People who just want to belong. People who just need peace and want to make their life count for something. There's a quote that I've put on the bottom of your sheet there. From a guy called, from Bethel called Kevin Deadman. And he said this, the purpose of the prophetic, and by the prophetic we mean the ability just to speak out the voice of God, speak the words of God. The purpose of the prophetic is to expose a person to her true, his or her true identity and destiny. Showing that there is far more than what she or he is currently experiencing. Showing that God has planned something better. And one of the most powerful things that we can do as people who know our identity, who know who we are in Christ, as trusted rulers, one of the most powerful things we can do is speak the words of life into people. We've been created to be part of a massive adventure. We're invited onto this journey. It's not just for us. We'll carry on with the trusted ruler stuff next time, but what I'd love you to do is this. Um, and let's stay sitting for this, but I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Because I put a little question at the bottom of that. And the question is, what is God highlighting to you, simply to you, as you read through this list? So I just want, I just want us to have a little bit of quiet. And I'd just love you to take a minute or two, just to carefully, just, just, just gently read through the list. Don't make a really big deal out of it, but as you read through... Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What is he highlighting to you for today? 
Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That the truth is that when we're in Jesus, we are a new creation. Our identity is caught up in you. It's all about you. As we read through these truths, would you just speak words of life to us again? Show us which one of these we need to dwell on. Where there's something we need to learn. Where there's something we need to give thanks for. Just cause our hearts to respond. Thank you for your presence here. Take that minute. Just read through the list and just in your own mind, invite the Holy Spirit to lead you, speak his words of life to you.